So let's get our Bibles out. Open to Ephesians chapter 3. You're going to find that on page 1080 of that pew Bible in front of you. So if you don't have a Bible, just grab that paperback Bible. Open to 1080. If you don't have a Bible, take that home with you. If you know somebody that needs a Bible, take it home and give it to them. Be our gift to you. Now we're going to look, as Colby said, at a prayer that Paul prays. He's going to transition, you know, for three chapters, Paul's been laying down these amazing gospel realities. And we've said he's flung the window of the gospel open to us and and freed us from the captivity of of being stuck where all we can see is ourselves and the people around us. And now we're looking out the window realizing that there's all these things going on that are true in the gospel, that we're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus and, and that he, he predestined us for adoption and all these amazing things. And now He's going to take a breath and He's going to pray. And He's going to pray for the believers in Ephesus, but He's praying for us. He's praying for those who would read these words. That's us. And what he prays is, is really amazing. And, but it also is true that whenever we talk about prayer, we have to be honest. A lot of us struggle to pray. And we don't want anybody to know that. And we don't admit that out loud. But the truth is we struggle to pray. And there's several reasons why that is. But just the conversation about prayer makes some of you, maybe many of you in the room, immediately start to feel inadequate. Because one thing's for sure. Whenever somebody brings up the topic of prayer... You always think, I wish I prayed more. Don't you? And that's okay. Because I would hope that no matter how much you pray, you would always think, I wish I prayed more. In fact, I hope that's the posture of your heart when you leave here today as well. Let me give you a couple reasons why I think we struggle to pray. You know, 25 years ago, I wouldn't have even, this might have made the list, but it certainly wouldn't have been number one. But now it's number one by so far, it's not even close. You know, the biggest reason why people struggle to pray today is because you lose focus. See, we live in a world that, that has just made focus a rare commodity. You see, you're, you're so used to instant notification that when you bow your head to pray, oftentimes your mind just starts going all over the place. You start thinking about all sorts of things. So I would just recommend that if you, if you struggle to focus when you pray, I don't pray with my cell phone in the room. You do whatever you want to do, but... I, I, w- I don't want it around me. I don't want to hear it buzzing or beeping or anything. So I leave it on my desk. And I go in my closet and I pray. And then, but I always have something to write with when I pray. And here's why. Because if God tells me something, I want to write it down so I don't forget it. And the other thing is, is that if I think of something, I write it down so I'll stop thinking about it. See, if you're praying and you start thinking about, you know, oh boy, I forgot, did I turn the stove off or what's on the grocery list or what time's practice over or what, you know, what did my boss tell me or just write it down. It's so much easier than going through all this struggle of trying to get it out of your head. If you just write it down, then it's gone. You can go back to what you're doing. The second reason we struggle to pray is that it's just because we're so self-focused. I mean, the truth of the matter is, let's be honest. We pray a lot of times when we need something. And when we don't need anything, we don't pray. And there's nothing wrong with praying when you need something. That's what we ought to do. But if you only pray when you need something, it builds a really weak relationship. Imagine if 
me and you had a relationship and the only time I talked to you or called you was when I needed something from you, we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't have a very strong relationship, would we? See, what makes a relationship strong is when you talk just because you care, just because you want to, just because you can, because you love somebody. That's the kind of relationship we want to have with God. The third reason we don't pray like we should is because we hate awkward. I, can I just tell you something? I hate awkward. Some of you are super awkward. I don't hate you, but I hate when you make me feel awkward with your awkwardness. And you know what makes people feel awkward? Prayer. Now, some of you are going, I don't, okay, let's just get down to the truth. The truth is, what happens when you've ever been in a, in a circle of people and everybody circles around and then you go, okay, you know, we're going to pray and I'm going to start and then you pray as you feel led. And then so somebody prays and then, see, you know, here's what you do. You're like, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? And the whole time somebody's praying, you're thinking, well, what am I going to pray? i got to pray something. i got to think of something, something, something. And then you're like, then it's quiet. And then you go, should I go now? Or is somebody else going to go? Who's going to go? Where are we going to? What's about to happen? Who's, whose turn is it? What are we going to do? Right? Oh, my goodness. And then that's going on at the same time is you're thinking to yourself, and now I'm sweaty wherever them hands are on me, and they're pushing real hard on me, and I can feel their heart beating, but I'm trying to think about whatever's going on. <sighs> and then I always say, look, uh, somebody's going to open, and I'm going to close. And so then everybody in the thing's going, well, I better hurry up or else he's going to start closing. And then if he closes and I don't pray, they're gonna, then I'm going to be like, I'm such a failure. I didn't even pray. Why didn't I pray? I should have prayed. I could have prayed. Huh, it's awkward. You ever been around somebody and they start praying and suddenly they have a totally new accent? <laughs> You're like, what just happened? They start talking funny? And then, so then you think to yourself like, well, maybe I don't know how to pray because I don't. You know, like, you know this person, and suddenly you're praying, and, they're like, and they start saying thou, and you're like, I've never heard them say thou ever. But now they're, see, suddenly they sound British. That's awkward. Sometimes we struggle to pray because we wonder if we're doing it right. See, we, we don't, we, we, we pray about something and then we don't know if we're doing it right. We hear other people pray and here's, here's one thing I want you to understand around here. I try really hard, the pastors here, when we pray, we pray normal. Normal. So that you don't think that. I don't want you to think, well, I can't pray like that. Well, good, I don't want you to. You know why? Let's remember something. Humanity started in a garden, hanging out and spending time with God. Just talking to Him. You don't need to worry about if you're doing it right. Listen, saved people can't pray wrong. God hears everything you say. He does. He promises to do that. You're his child. He loves you. His spirit's within you. And the Lord Jesus intercedes on our behalf so we don't have to worry about if we're doing it right. And the last reason we struggle to pray is because sometimes we doubt it works. And see, here's another misconception. What, what Paul will teach us this at, at one point this morning, but one of the big misconceptions is that we pray about something and then it doesn't happen. 
And so we don't know if we were praying the wrong prayer or if we were wrong or if God didn't hear it or if God didn't care. Or then we have all these problems in our head. Listen, God hears all the prayers of his children. And prayer, listen, is not ever, ever based on performance. Ever. It's based on relationship. And so Paul teaches us more about prayer than anyone else in the New Testament because we have all of these prayers that he prays. And here's what I want you to understand about Paul's prayers is that if you were to study through his prayers, the first thing that would sort of shock you or if you said, I want to pray like Paul, the first thing that would come to your mind that would have to change is you would immediately think to yourself, I pray too small. I pray too small. Whenever I study Paul's prayers, I always, always say, I pray too small. Because Paul's prayers, if you have your listening guides, are are always marked by blatant extravagance. Paul prays big, bold, audacious prayers. And that doesn't mean that we don't pray for silly, dumb things. Because, again, if you have a super close relationship with somebody, then whatever, you you don't always talk about important things, do you? No, sometimes you just talk about silly things because you love them and you have a relationship with them. And so you can talk to God about anything. But as we go through this, here's what I do not want you to do. I do not want you to think of Paul's prayer as rare or, you know, exceptional. The way Paul prays is just the way a Christian should pray. It's just Christianity. And so you wouldn't use the words that Paul uses, but that's okay. But we ought to have the heart that Paul has when we pray. We have to understand that as we look at these verses, Paul's in prison. There's a guard standing three feet away from him, 24 hours a day. He doesn't want to be in prison, but he's fine with it because he he trusts the sovereignty of God in the situation. And so he prays from a not perfect situation this remarkable prayer that I hope will do great work in our hearts as we look at it. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll study together. Father, we thank you for what we're about to read. In advance, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to give us ears to hear and to work mightily in us through your power to be able to receive what you have to say to us today that we might be changed more like you, that we would relate to you more for who you are based on who you reveal yourself to be. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at verse 14. Paul says, for this reason, for what reason? Well, he just got done saying that we're all members of the household of faith. We're we're blocks being built into a wall with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. We're, We're this family of God, this this amazing people that God's placing together. And all of these gospel realities are true. And he says, now for this reason, because all of these amazingly true things, I just said, I bow my knees to the father. So that he's down on his knees in the prison cell. He bows his knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. So there he is on his knees the whole family. We're the household of faith. But not just us, 
not just us in this room and in this church, not just us in all the churches, not just us in all the churches around the world, but what about all our brothers and sisters who have already gone ahead of us? They're still, we're, still, we're still family. They're in heaven, and we haven't been united with them yet, but we're still family. The family bond hasn't been broken, and here's the key. The key is we're, we have the same father. So together, under the fatherhood of God, Paul begins to pray us out of the kiddie pool and into the, the ocean of who he reveals himself to be. You think about how this progresses. I mean, it was surprising to me that as I thought about how in chapter 1, Paul prayed that we might know the good news, but now he's going to pray that we would experience it. In chapter 1, he wants us to know the God of the gospel, but now he wants us to experience that same God. See, based on what's true, he wants us to move into experiencing everything that he's already said. So when he says, look at verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I don't want the gospel to get stuck in your heads. What's, what's at stake here is the possibility that all of these realities just become information that's stuck in your head that you don't experience, that you don't, you don't enjoy, that you don't take advantage of, that something could be, be true for you, that it's not just external information or even some consciousness about God, but that it would be internal assuredness. Because you're not going to act on something unless you have a, a, an assuredness that is true, right? And that's what Paul wants, is that we would act on what's true. He told us back in chapter 2, verse 18, that we have access to the Father. But now he's going to pray that, he would, that God would grant us, according to his riches and glory, to be strengthened with might through the inner man. See, having access is different than experiencing presence. Think of it this way. The fact that God gave you a key to the kingdom doesn't mean you put it in the lock and opened the door and walked through and enjoyed it. So you you might have a key to something. You may have access to something, but having access is just the first step. You have to act on the access for it to become a reality, right? He says, look, that he would grant you according to his riches and glory, which let's just say for the sake of simplicity, unlimited, that we'd be strengthened with might according to an unlimited ability on God's part in our inner man. Why? Why would we need to be strengthened to this degree and by this much? Why? And when you, when you really look at the way Paul says things, you realize that even though he's been walking with the Lord for decades, he's still stunned by this good news. All week as I studied this passage, I was just stunned by this good news. It's still stunning that this is what the Bible says. That we're going to be strengthened according to his unlimited ability. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. To which some of you might say, wait a minute. I'm saved, doesn't? Doesn't Christ already dwell in my heart? Yeah. If you're a child of God, then the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, 
and dwells your heart. But what is Paul saying here? He's not asking that Christ would come into our hearts because if you're a Christian, he's praying, he, he's praying this to Christians, to us in the room who are saved. Well, that's already happened. So you have to look at these pieces that make up what he's saying. When he says dwell in verse 17, that word means to, to live not as a visitor, but as a permanent resident. To no longer be a guest, but to be a, a master. Here's, here's the way I think you should understand this. The reason Paul is saying this is because in the church at Ephesus and in this church at Michael Memorial today, there are people who have a key to the kingdom. The Spirit of God dwells in them. But they're content to keep Christ in the living room of their lives. See, the living room is the part of your house where visitors go. When guests come over, they go in the living room, and that's where everybody visits. That's sort of the, 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 the place in your house where, you know, that's where you put the stuff you don't want broken. That's where you, you know, that's where you put the stuff where you're not allowed to eat because visitors go in there. See, sometimes we want to relegate the Spirit of God to the, if, if our lives were a house, to the living room of our lives. And what Paul is praying is that according to the riches of his glory, of God's glory, that we would be strengthened to invite Christ into the, what about the other rooms? What happens when we invite Christ into the kitchen or the dining room of our lives? He revolutionizes our appetites. What happens if we invite him into the, the den or the family room? Then he begins to transform our relationships. We invite him into the playroom or the rec room in our house. And he transforms the way we spend our free time. We invite him into the office or the study. And he transforms the things we allow into our minds. If we invite him into the bedroom, he transforms our understanding of intimacy. See, I like to make you feel awkward. I just don't like it when you make me feel awkward. But I do like making you awkward. It's really good. What happens when we invite him into the secret closets and the storage rooms of our life? To cleanse and to heal the things he finds in there. You know what happens? He transforms our understanding of freedom. You know, if I come over to your house to visit, I'll probably sit in the living room. And as I get more comfortable or you get more comfortable with me or we get closer, we might transition. You know, we'll go into the kitchen, the dining room. We might eat or I might go into the den and we might watch a, a sporting event or something together or something like that. And, you know, and, 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 and I might move around your house a little bit, but you know what's the last place? I'm going. The least welcome place for a guest in your house, the closet. You don't want nobody in your closet. You don't want nobody in your storage room. That's where all your junk's hidden. That's why we want to keep God in the living room. Is because although that would be the best thing for us is to let him have free reign, we're afraid. And so how do we move from being afraid to having internal assurance that 
this is going to be the best possible thing I could do. That's what Paul's praying for us. See, he's, he's illustrating something to us, this truth that a sense of his absence is a sign of his presence. See, here's what I mean. There are people who have a, a holy discontentedness is what I call it. Like even this morning already in just a few moments that I've been talking, you feel discontent with your relationship with God. You want more. You wish it was deeper. Praise God for you. That's amazing. See, you might have felt like some condemnation or some shame about that. But do you know that the fact that you desire a deeper walk with God is evidence of his presence in your life? Do you know what is the scariest thing you could feel right now? Contentedness. See, if you're here this morning and you're like, you know, I'm good. My relationship with God is good. There's a big problem with that. That's a terrible place to be. You should never, ever be content. And if you are content, chances are you've never experienced His presence in your life. Because once you do, whenever you don't, you should feel like something's missing. Amen? Yes. Yes. When we desire a deeper, more intimate experience with God, that's unnatural to the flesh. You can't do that in and of yourself. See, remember Paul in Acts 17, and he says... Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious, for as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And Paul's illustrating what we all know, which is that people in general want God. That's what the Bible teaches. In general, they want God. In other words, people naturally want the things that God gives. They just don't naturally want the God, the only God who can give those things. See, the Bible says none seeks after God, no, not one. But yet we see texts like that, and we see people that are constantly seeking after God. But here's what, the, what you have to understand. They're not seeking after the God of the Bible. They're seeking after happiness or meaning or freedom from guilt or peace or the things that God can give. What they want is the rewards that God can give, but without God. See, the flesh never wants to seek after God, the God of the Bible, because the flesh wants to be God. So if you desire the God of the Bible, then you have the Spirit working in you because your flesh can't do that. Romans 1.18 says the natural man suppresses the truth. See, the way that you know that you've met the real God is that you become hungry and thirsty for what is real and true. So that's what he means when he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's what he's talking about. That he would live Freely in all the places of your life. Then he says that you being rooted and grounded in love. Why rooted and grounded in love? What what does this mean? Remember last week I said the greatest obstacle to our fruitfulness is not our flesh, but it's our lack of understanding of the degree to which God loves us. It's so important for you to understand that you can feel right now feelings of, of wanting to be closer to God and, and, and you can completely mess this up by saying, 
So what I need to do is I need to be more disciplined. I need to work harder. I need to read more, pray more, be more faithful, do this, do this. That will never work. That's a mistake. It will never work. Paul didn't pray that according to the riches of his gospel, uh, the riches of God's glory, that we would have the, the strength and the power and the ability to be able to walk closer with God or defeat all of our enemies or be, no, but that we'd be rooted and grounded in love. Why? Because the degree to which you understand how much God loves you is what transcends, it it creates in you this ability to be able to, to traverse the gulf between you and God, to get over all the hindrances of the flesh that are trying to keep you from walking closely with God. See, the the greatest thing, the greatest thing to walk closely to God is to remind yourself what God has done for you, that he's forgiven you, that he's redeemed you, that in forgiving and redeeming you, he created an unbreakable relationship between you and him. Do Do you understand that? That if you're here this morning and you say, I don't know much, but I know that I'm saved. Listen, that is an unbreakable, irreversible relationship, which means that you do not perform your way into his good graces. You can't undo what he's done. You didn't behave your way in. You can't behave your way out. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. You see, you're going to have to, you can't walk forward until you walk in that freedom. You have to understand that. If you think that your relationship with God is predicated on your behavior, you will forever be defeated. Because what you're doing is relying on something internal, which is the flesh, in order to be pleasing to God, which you could never do. The blood of Jesus makes us pleasing to God. And that alone, and Paul's made that abundantly clear, hasn't he? See, the only thing we can do with regards to God's love for us is receive it. That's all we can do. We can't earn it. We can't merit it. Look at verse 18. That we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So you can see what he's driving at here. That Paul's extravagant prayer for me and you as we study the book of Ephesians would be that we would begin to plumb the depths of the way in which God loves us. But that doesn't fully explain why he prays what he prays. Look again at verse 18. Do you see the phrase, may be able? So you can write in your Bible, the phrase may be able. It, the best way to understand that in the original language is may be strong enough. So I want you to understand what Paul's actually praying here. That you may be, that I may be strong enough to comprehend. Do you know what that word comprehend means? We, that word is used in the Greek language and many places in the Bible. And the word means to wrestle to the ground. The same word that's translated comprehend is used to describe a scenario where a person maybe even a, a, a robber or somebody who means evil to someone, wrestles someone to the ground. That's what that word means. So now, let's think of it this way. When Paul says, may be able to comprehend, he's saying, may be strong enough to wrestle with all the saints. Well, not exactly. We're not supposed to be wrestling each other to the ground. 
What he means is that his prayer is that me and you would be strong enough to wrestle alongside one another. To which you should be asking, why do we need to be strong enough to wrestle? Well, we're going to get there in a minute, but let's just stop where we are and make sure that we, we, we got this straight. That, listen, intimacy with God is a battle lost without community. It's gone without community. You, the only way me and you can be strong enough to wrestle, the only way we can learn that is with each other. You can't do that by yourself. You, you learn from my struggles in wrestling, and I learn from yours, and together, that's what happens. We strengthen one another. Alone, no matter how devoted we are, alone it'll never be enough so when he says rooted and grounded in love listen what what he's telling us is love is the soil in which we're growing and it's also the foundation upon which we stand so you you've got to understand this that love is the key the key is the way God loves us There is no more important thing to understand about God than the fact that and the way in which He loves you. It's the very foundation of everything about God. And then if you say to yourself, I know God loves me, but I want to know, I want to know it deeper, I want to, then praise God. And let me tell you what. That happens together. But even so, you're going to have to have the strength to wrestle. Why? Why is it going to be such a, a struggle? Well, do you remember a season of your life when you felt dry and distant from God and you desired and longed for more of him and you began to press into him and what happened when you did that when we press into God what does God do he presses into us but is, is that the first and only thing we experience no because listen if you've been in this situation which I have then you understand the great challenge of doing that. You understand that that's not going it, to, it's, it's not going to come naturally. It's going to come supernaturally. That as soon as you and I press into God, we're going to be bombarded by the world, the flesh, and the devil with obstacles to keep us from getting close to God. You're not alone. All of us hear those discouraging voices in our head and, and, and face those challenges and trials. But listen, we got to know something that passes human knowledge. He says in verse 19, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now how can you know something that passes knowledge? Does, does that even make sense? Know something that passes knowledge? Well, of course it does. You He's praying that we would know something that passes human knowledge, that's beyond our ability to know. But we're not talking about our ability to know, are we? We're talking about God's ability to reveal it to us. So here's how this goes in practical life. You want a deeper relationship with God. You feel maybe what some of you are feeling right now where you think, man, I, I just, 
I'm just not satisfied. I need more. I want to walk deeper with God. And so you begin to press into God. And as soon as you do, some of the things you experienced in your childhood immediately come back and start haunting you, drowning out the knowledge of the love of God. Some of us, we, we begin to press into God and it's like tapes start playing in our mind about how unworthy we are for God to love us. Some of us have done things in the past that we cannot forget or get over. And so it constantly makes us feel distant from the love of God. Some of you maybe are facing circumstances in your life right now. And those circumstances are making you question the love of God. Maybe you look around and you see all the suffering in the world and all the things that aren't the way they ought to be. And you wonder, where is the love of God? Maybe you're disappointed with God. You feel let down by Him. And so really, you're not even sure if you can trust that God loves you. See, some of you have tried to be good Christians. You've tried to to, to follow the rules. You've worked hard at trying to be a good person. But then God acted in a way that you feel you didn't deserve for Him to act. And it's caused anger to well up in your heart and block you from the love of God. See, and as all these things are going on and whatever else is going on, there's a constant attack of a real enemy against our souls who's always doing everything in his power to keep every single human being from experiencing the love of God the way they ought to. He's constantly fueling our sense of unworthiness, constantly lying to us, continually telling us that our sin disqualifies us from relationship with God. So what do we need? We need God to make us strong enough to press through all these obstacles. That's what we need. To overcome the lies and the temptations and the confusion so that we can grasp, that's what he's praying, the the height and the depth and the width and the length of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. You see, the thing is, is that when you become a Christian, what does the Bible teach us about the Spirit coming into us and and indwelling us? That the flesh is still there and the two are contrary, right? Isn't that what it's teaching us? And so there's a battle that rages. And that battle doesn't go away. That battle rages on until we're done in this life. And God's love and His Spirit is superior. But not if we don't rely upon it. Not if we don't utilize it. You see, what we often do is go in our own strength. Fight according to our own knowledge or ability. Which is why we fail. Instead we ought to. We ought to ask God. Well what. What should I do. And you know what God would say. God would say. Look at my love for you. He would say look at the width of my love. My love is so wide that millions upon millions upon millions of sinners from every tribe, nation, tongue across the world are welcomed in. He says, look at how wide it is. It's so wide that it's, it's good for you. When you look at the width of God's love, then it shatters all the Fleshes, positions trying to tell us that it, it can't be for me. Oh, it is. It's that wide. 
We look at the length of God's love. We say, well, how, how long is God's love? Well, it's so long that it endures through all ages. It'll reach to the farthest places. When I think about how long God's love is, I think about this truth. I, I remind myself that the Bible says that God slayed his son before the foundation of the world. That it's so long that, see, time. Isn't it true that your flesh wants to condemn you and say, well, you've, why have you waited so long? Why have you taken so long? Why didn't you act quicker or sooner? Listen, his love is long enough. It's long enough. God would say, look at the height of my love. How high is it? Well, it's high enough to open the door of heaven. It's high enough for him to grab a hold of me and you and raise us up. He said in Ephesians, and seat us with Jesus in the heavenly places. It's high enough to do that. You see, when the flesh is telling me all these reasons why God couldn't love me, the height of his love says, but God says I'm seated with him in the heavenly places. Even though I'm in this terrible situation or surrounded by all of this bad news. How deep is God's love? Well, as we saw last week, it's deep enough to come down to where we are. All the way down to the bottom of the pit of our sin. And brokenness. Deep enough to come down there and to give us the opportunity to collapse into his arms. See, we need, we need supernatural power to be able to move into God and experience all the things that He has for us. We, when we understand the way God loves us, we will stop relegating Him to the living room. See, once we start moving through the house of our lives and we let God start to explore all these areas and we start experiencing the benefit of God's working in these areas, here's what happens. You start flinging doors open. You can't even, you don't even want him walking down the hall. You say, hold on, look here, linen closet, woo! You don't let anybody look in that closet because you know you don't know how to fold that fitted sheet. That mug looks like a rat's nest in there. You always shove it behind stuff. You fold stuff nice and shove that sheet behind it so it looks like nobody can see that nasty thing. But you want God in, in the closets and the storage spaces because here's the thing. You'll never know what true freedom is until you give him freedom in the, in the areas of your life, Right? You see, everywhere that you're restricting God, you don't have freedom. You don't have freedom. And the reason you're restricting Him is because you're afraid. And the reason you're afraid is because you don't understand how much He loves you. Because if you did, you'd invite Him in. You'd invite Him in. You see, He gave you a master key to the kingdom the moment you got saved. He gave you Total access, the Bible says, in confidence. Well, maybe you're afraid. You've been afraid to use it. He didn't give it to you to keep it in your pocket. He's inviting you in. But at the same time, are you inviting him in to your life? But as if all that's not enough, here's how he pulls it all together. Look at verse 20 and 21. Maybe the most famous verses in the book of Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Listen, I can't even begin to expound all of the realities that come out of those two verses. But I can give you a taste. You look at these two verses and look at how it builds. 
Remember, this is Paul praying, and this is the way I want to pray and the way you should want to pray, the way we ought to pray. And so Paul, in pulling this together, he wants us to know that God's able to do what we ask. See, the thing when it comes to prayer, two things you never need to, to, to question. Never question God's ability or his willingness. Those two things are always 100%. He's 100% able and 100% willing. He's able to do whatever we ask. He's able to do what we think. But Paul says more than that. He says he's able to do all that we ask or think. See, he's able to do. He's willing to do all that you can ask or think. But it's better than that. He's able to do beyond all that you can ask or think. Well, that's got to be as good as it can get. No, it gets better than that. He's able to do abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. I mean, nothing could be better than able to do abundantly beyond all that I could ask or think. Unless it's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. Do you know what? Far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. Do you know why that's the greatest possible thing? It's because when I pray, the, one of the main reasons why I pray is because I don't know what to do. Because if I knew what to do, I wouldn't have anything to pray about. But see, I don't know. I can't think. I don't know what to ask. But it's okay because God just wants to spend time with me. He can do exceedingly abundantly far more than I can ask or think, which means that God's completely able. He's totally willing. He always hears me. He always hears you. And he'll do whatever the best thing is. Do you know if you're a Christian, every prayer you've ever prayed has been answered? You've never prayed a prayer that wasn't answered. And it was answered according to the best possible way. And you say to yourself, but I just can't see that. Because it's exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think, dummy. That's what it says. If you could think it, then it wouldn't be abundantly above that, would it? And you say to yourself, but I can't trust that that was the best thing because you don't understand the way God loves you. See, the soil that you're growing in, the foundation that you're standing upon is God's love for you so that you can pray. Listen, what, what do you need today? What are you facing today? What challenge is there? Whatever it is, God is able. And he's willing. And he can do. See, you don't have to worry, but I don't know what to pray and I don't know how to say it. I don't. It's okay. He knows that. He's already made a way for that. So many times I pray the wrong thing because I don't know. But then God does the right thing. And sometimes I still don't know, but I trust him. I trust him. And I want him to move freely through all the rooms of my life. But I also want to stay very Aware that I have this key in my pocket and that anytime I need to, I can open the door with confidence and I can walk in. I have access to the kingdom. See, I don't, I'm not the only one that lives in my house, which may be shocking to you. There are other people that live there. I'm the father of the house. But everyone else that lives there has free access. They can come and go whenever they please. Even 
My grown children that don't live there have free access to come and go wherever they please. And when they come in, they can go anywhere and do anything they want. They can eat my food. They can sleep in my bed. They can take a bath in my shower. They can, in fact, they do all those things. And it's wonderful because they have free access. And I want them to know that they don't just have free access to move about the the rooms of my house, but my life. And I want to do the same with them. I want it to be a little glimpse of a picture of the relationship that I have with my heavenly father. I want God to know you're welcome, God, in all the areas of my life. Thank you. Not because if I do this for you, will you do this for me? No, he goes first. See, he gave you the key first the moment you got saved. He said, here's a key to the kingdom. Come in anywhere, anytime you want. Stay as long as you want. Say whatever you want. You're welcome here. You belong here. You're my child and I love you. So if you receive that gift but not taking advantage of it, or maybe receive that gift but not reciprocate it back to God because you're afraid. You're afraid of how he's going to change things. It's okay. He loves you. You can trust him. So here's what's about to happen. It's going to be another awkward moment. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And when you do, then I'm going to invite you to come up here to pray. And you know what's going to happen is a lot of you are going to think, well, I want to go up there to pray, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what are, I mean I, I'm embarrassed to go up there. I mean, people are going to see me go up there. And so I, I don't know if I should go up there. And, and if I go up there... What's my husband going to think or my wife going to think or what are other people going to think? And then, you're, and, then, and then if you go up there, then you're like, but there's people standing there and I don't know how to get around them and all this. And so I'm just going to stay here and be a failure. And then if you do, make your way out and you come down here and you kneel at the altar. Then you start wondering, well, like, have I been here long enough? Like if I get up right now, then people are going to think, well, that wasn't really much. But you just kneeled down to pray for me. That's all you got. And the way you know that it's time to get up from the altar and go back to your seat is you start wondering if you've been there long enough. That's the telltale sign. But then there's the flip side of the awkwardness is that, well, I don't feel like God's leading me to go down there. But I don't want people to think that God's not lead me so I might go down there anyway and so here we are back in this swirl why don't we do this why don't we stand and as we all do let's stand why don't we just do what God tells us to do why don't we not get hung up on things that don't matter and let's just focus on what does matter And if you want to come down here and kneel at the altar and talk to your father, then come talk to him. Stop worrying about your flesh. Just come down. You don't have to wait for me to pray. You don't have to worry about everybody's eyes closing on. Just do it. It's okay. Just do it. Lord, we thank you. We realize even now how we feel so awkward. But what if it was just me and you, God, in this room? What would I do and how would I feel if no one else was here but me and you? Lord, I want to do that. I want to do that. So help us to do that, Lord. Oh, we just want to know more about how you love us, God. We need it. We battle every day. Every day. 
So thank you, Lord, for inviting us into this relationship with you. Thank you that it's wide enough for anybody to come. It's deep enough that you'll go no matter how far down and rescue us. It's high enough to swing heaven open to seat us with Christ. It's long enough that, God, what you determined to do through Jesus, you determined before the foundation of the world. And so you're never going to backtrack or change. So, Lord, thank you. We're grateful. In Jesus' name.